Hello, and welcome to RD and the Inbetweens. I'm your host, Kelly Priest, and every fortnight I talk to a different guest about researchers, development, and everything in between. Hello, and welcome to this special episode of Researchers' Development and the Inbetweens. I recognise it's slightly strange to have a special episode of a podcast when you're one episode into the series, but I wanted to provide a response to the events that are going on across the world, and particularly in America and the death of George Floyd. One of the things I want to do with this podcast is provide a platform to discuss the real lived experiences of our researchers, and it would seem remiss to let this opportunity go by to talk about the experience of being a BAME researcher in higher education. I'm delighted to be joined by one of our PGRs, Victoria Amotashaw, to discuss being a BAME researcher in higher education and generally in the world today. I want to point out that I have not edited this conversation and the reason for that is I don't want to use my privileged perspective to change or alter Victoria's voice. So Victoria, are you happy to introduce yourself? Yes, hi Kelly, thanks for having me. Um, so my name is Victoria Motosha. I am a PhD theology candidate, uh, just recently submitted. Um, Congratulations. And thank you. <laughs> um, and yeah, and I'm currently um, yeah, at, at, the, you know, at the University of Exeter. And um, yes, yeah, so my research kind of looks into um, Jesus films and um, yeah, it touches a lot actually on ethnicity uh, in, in films and how Hollywood has whitewashed a lot of that. Um, so, yeah, thanks for having me. Thank you. Um, and the, so to start with is a really, really big and open question, which is just about what is it like to be a BAME researcher in higher education? What, what's the environment like for you? What's the experience? Yeah, definitely. Um, being a BAME researcher, I think one of the main things you kind of come out from is that you know that there is there is an an underlying thread, right, of kind of inequality and discrimination, um, and a lot of that comes with stereotyping as well, um, and it does kind of lead you when you do occupy these white spaces, um, makes you so much more conscious actually of the color of your skin. And even though that shouldn't be a thing in, you know, in this modern age, but you do feel that, um, especially in, you know, when you enter a room and you are the only, uh, you know, BAME researcher, you know, whether it be at conference, many a times, many a times I've entered conferences when I'm the only, I'm the only BAME researcher there, um, or, you know, seminars. And sometimes when you, you know, a lot of the times we're talking about things, you know, in, in humanities, for example, you know, we're talking about, you know, histories and stuff like that. And you're always conscious of how people are going to respond if I speak out. They're just going to label me as an angry black woman or <laughs> are they going to, you know, just say, oh, she's just another, you know, person that's just trying to make a point. Um, so all those things just come into play and you're constantly just aware on how you have to navigate yourself through these, you know, through the walls of, of HE really um, and you know there's always a sense of trying to overperform um, 
that's a big thing that always tries to comes up because I think we all, no matter what race you are, we all experience imposter syndrome, right? You know, we yes. all have that. <laughs> we all have that thing, but it's somehow almost heightened um, because you feel that I need to prove to the white people that I'm good enough. Oh, do you know what I mean? Like you have to almost kind of prove that as a point um, that, yeah, I, I, I too can engage in, you know, intelligent conversation because to be honest, I have experienced, you know, some people that, you know, would just kind of pass me by but the moment I open my mouth they'll be like wow I, I had no idea you you know you were educated like that or seriously yeah. you know and and it's just again there's just this kind of this underlying kind of like I said this underlying thread that's of this you know just building up stereotypes that you know need to be broken down really for people to be able to actually break through those walls and look I will acknowledge that you know, personally, I acknowledge that I'm privileged to be able to study, you know, at an institution. Um, everyone that's able to study in HE it is a privilege. Um, yes, absolutely. Exactly. And, but, you know, I am also aware that the color of my skin may sometimes act as a barrier for me. Um, and, you know, I think it comes to a point of trying to just dismantle those structures that have been set in place, but they can't be done by BAME researchers alone, um, you know. Absolutely. And I think for me, some of the things that I found really striking in the past few years are not necessarily some of the um, overt instances of racism, which, you know, we, we, we will talk about kind of some of those in, in a bit but some of the more structural things and the more subtle things. So for instance, Advance HE did a equality report um, a couple of years ago and it said that, so UK professors by ethnic group, 91.2% of professors in the UK are white and 0.6 yeah. are black, less yeah. than 1%. Less than 1%. Yeah. And the, you know, and, and we know that there's a black attainment gap. Yeah. We know that um, both at A level and um, at degree level, and we see, um, you know, there's some. I'll, I'll share in the show notes some of these statistics and a link to this information because they've done infographics and I think they're really powerful. And they've mm. done one that sort of shows the um, amount of white and BAME um, students um, in academia starting at undergraduate level and how that changes as you go through kind of into postgraduate research, lectureships, yeah. and professors, and the amount of white. Um, people goes up and the yeah. amount of BAME um, people goes down and yeah. it's really striking because you can just I think in that see that structure yeah and how it is like you say it is a white space yeah yeah so one of the things that we can't really ignore is where the University of Exeter is geographically located yes <laughs> um <laughs> and this is something we've discussed before we are in the southwest of England which is and I think the politest way to put it is not the most multicultural yeah area yeah. of this country um what was that a consideration for you in coming to study in the southwest at first um 
no because if I'm honest I mean I came from King's College in London and when I first was you know just making a trip um I didn't I didn't really know much about Exeter uh it wasn't really a place I'd considered I knew of the university it had a great reputation of course yeah. but I uh, you know and I've heard that oh this is a beautiful you know part of the world mm. but in terms of um you know the, the city itself I never really had much information on it on it um so at first I will be honest it was not a concern for me um but when I <laughs> my first week um we got a little um cottage somewhere where we were waiting for you know getting ready for the new academic year to start um and that was when I was like oh okay this is the southwest (laughs) yeah um you know I mean it was just so like I I grew up I grew up in South Africa right okay so so you know we know everyone knows you know the history of 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 that nation major racial tensions um so it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't be anything new to me if I were to experience, you know, some form of, you know, kind of injustice, like kind of very subtle injustice or subtle discrimination. But when I moved to the Southwest, it was almost that like a new can had opened for me. It was just microaggression after stares, after people trying to touch my hair because it was wow. something... It was, it was something I have never experienced till I moved down here. Um, and it just, and at first I was just like, you know, very confused at, at, at the whole thing. I'm like, is it that they actually have never seen a black person before or that they, or that they, ooh, sorry, is it that they've never seen a black person before or that they don't, you know, have any interactions do I look like some kind of museum (laughs) artifact to them like you know it was just it was just it was just crazy to me like I would go you know go into the shop and I would genuinely get people genuinely just stopping and um and staring um and you know and then it, it just for me you know it's just this kind of I feel that there's a sense that for black people, again, this kind of, I don't know, I don't want to call it an ownership, but it's almost as if it's like, if a black body enters into the room, it's like, you know, what's going to happen next, you know? And even just the whole thing of touching hair, like, you know, just going up to someone and touching their, a stranger and touching their hair, it's, it's the most kind of invasive part Incredibly. Of, um, you know, but again, what is it about, I asked that question. I'm like, what is it about black bodies that white people think that that's okay? You know, that some white people think that that's okay to be able to come and just, you know, place your hands on them. So, you know, things like that, walking, you know, you're just so much more aware, you know, the consciousness of it all is very daunting, I think. Um, And like, you know, like we said, I think earlier we were saying, you know, a lot of the racism is not aggressive. Um, a lot of it is formed into the subtleness of it. Um, and, and I think that is, like you said, that is what actually brings a lot of impact because you're just like, it's just the everyday, the ordinary everyday where these experiences continue to happen because of the color of your skin. 
And there seems to be a lot in what you're saying about othering. Yes. Oh, the other. Yeah. Honestly, it's, yeah, you're completely right. Because I think I don't, you know, there's this kind of, and I think it also goes back to, you know, to, you know, if we go back decades ago with this whole thing of, you know, exoticism and like yes. the, fetishi- the fetishizing of black bodies and all of that. I think it all kind of plays into that rhetoric, right, of, of the other, of this otherness that is actually, you know, it does form from this same system that has, you know, used, um, used it as a form of, you know, almost, a, just, I don't want to, you know, like almost a form of entertainment in a way. Absolutely. I mean, I, I see it, you see it so often with attitudes to disability as well, like the, the kind of othering or the, of the kind of freak show. Yes. Early, early 20th century. century. Yes, definitely. And And you can see, and I've heard a lot of people talk to me about kind of that again that fetishization uh, i can't say that word today <laughs> fetishization <laughs> of disabled bodies yes and 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 it it certainly seems to me from my from my sort of perspective on the situation that it is there seems to be that underpinning of that attitude of yeah. the freak show of or, or of exoticism that just seems to be still so embedded yeah in our culture yeah 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 um and i i think like you said it's those microaggressions it's those those subtle forms of of racism that we and when i say we i I mean as myself as a kind of privileged white person we don't we don't see no yeah we don't see in the same or we certainly don't see in the same way and there's been lots of discussions in the sector so there's um a podcast called one kg and there was a really interesting episode where they talked about how they were going to deal with a-level grades um, yes. and predicted grades and the argue and somebody tried to argue that this was going to be a great leveler for people um and actually the someone said well no because we know statistically that predicted grades for black students in the uk are much lower than what they actually achieve so this is a system that's going to work against against them yeah and and it's those sorts of i think it's those sorts of structural um discriminations that are underpinning everything we do yeah yeah you know you're you're completely right it's the thing is it's it's this is generations like we see what's happening right yeah this is generations upon generations of trauma. I mean, my grandmother would tell me stories of when she was working in London in the 60s of people screaming at her the N-word as she's oh, walking down the street. Yeah. Um, and that she's telling there's no way she can raise her children here. Um, and like, you know, she, you know she, she's fighting for equality in the 60s. Here I am, her granddaughter, still talking about this today. Mm. So this is, I mean, this is a generational thing of we've he- we've heard the stories of what of what our parents, of what our grandparents have gone through, and now their children are still having to face these same battles in our own way. Um, and again, you know, like you said, it, it, the structure of it needs to be completely broken down. But I think it is, like you said, you know people that come from a place of privilege um, need to be aware. And I think what's happening right now with this whole, you know, with the whole George Floyd 
movement and the I can't breathe movement is that you're seeing thousands and thousands of people and a lot of, you know, white people are recognizing, you know, saying that, Hey, I'm so sorry that it took me this long to recognize my, my privilege. But, you know, I think, I think they've always known that there was a privilege, right? I mean, I think, I think we all are aware of white privilege. I think we're all aware of the systems that are put in place that are able to benefit some more than others. But when it Um, benefits you, it's easier to, it's very easy to ignore. Exactly. Exactly. And I think in your favor. Exactly. And, and that has, and is, that's been the story, hasn't it for for so long. Um, And it's not even this whole, you know, this whole, passivity of everything is the kind of society we live in isn't it you know especially in the uk i have seen people being abused racially abused on public transport and nobody not i mean it's another person of color that's having to step in yeah um and you know there's nobody is standing up no white person that in that bus was you know was able to stand up and say hey that's not okay um so you know it's it's just this, I think the, the passiveness of it all, I think, is actually what, what start, when it starts to erode, it almost becomes almost desynthesized to the whole problem. Yeah. Um, I, I saw um, something Will Smith had actually posted um, a couple of days ago that said um, sort of there isn't, it's some, it was something like there hasn't been a resurgence of racism, it's just being filmed. Yes, yes, I saw that. Yes, exactly. exactly. And I, I just that I found that really powerful just as a mm-hmm. kind of reminder that just because you aren't seeing something. Exactly. Um, and it's... if you, if you are white and if you are privileged, you're not going to see it. No, not exactly. as regularly as it occurs. Mm-hmm. That's so true. That's so and... true. And You go. No, sorry. I was just, I was just agreeing with what you said. Like, yeah. you know, it's, 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 um, this is not new to black people. No these experiences aren't new to us. We, 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 we know of people this has happened to. Like, we know of family members who've been detained just because of the color of their skin. We know, um, you know, this is not, this is not, I've got two, two brothers that are black men. Yeah. And I, even just going to our local shop down the road, I have to tell him, take your hoodie off. Like, don't wear a hat because you're a black man and they will be watching you so you know it's just things like that that whereas if his white friend you know wore a beanie or a hoodie you know no you know there's no there's no suspicion um you know or he's going for a walk even when we were in africa he's going for a walk and he's he's detained because he's black because he shouldn't be here it's a white space why are you here so, you know, this, these, these things, these experiences are not new to us. Um, you know, these stories are not new to, to, to black communities in the US. They have, been, they have been going through this for generations, for, for years, but it is finally coming into light. And, and yeah, you know, I think, again, it is, it's finally dawning on people yeah. that, we have a serious problem. And I think a lot of you know, white people are saying we have a serious problem and we are the ones to fix it. Because to yes. be honest, they started this problem in the first place. <laughs> if, I'm, 
if I can be quite frank. <laughs> no, absolutely. And, and like you said before, it, you know, and there's a lot of discussion about this at the moment in various different um, groups, that it's the people with the privilege have to speak up and start the change because we're the ones with the power. With the privilege. This is what, you know what, this is, I think I literally said this to my mother yesterday and I said, I said, all this is great. All this change is great. I said, but we need the white people because they are the ones in power. They are the ones sitting on those boards. They are the ones, do, you know, making those policies. And I said, you know, we need them to be able to step up and activate, you know, what is started at grassroots. And only then can we start to see the dismantle of white supremacy. Do you know? Yeah. And so I've... I've heard a lot of people talk as well about the emotional labor that gets um, put on people from discriminated groups in general, where they are the people that have to fight for change, you know, when they're already fighting just for the yes. very existence. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the impact of that on mental health and physical health. It's so and, true. And it's actually, so true. like you say, you know, you go into most you know, senior boards of um, senior management of universities across the country, yeah. you know, it's statistically you're unlikely to see a woman, let yeah. alone a black woman. Yeah. Um, yes. And, you know, there's been lots of, and I know the, the BME network at the university have been saying a lot about actually, you know, it's, it's our, it's our responsibility as white people when we're in a room and we realize that our, BAME colleagues and our BAME students aren't represented to actually speak up and say, yeah. you know what? This yeah. is not good enough. Yeah, um, definitely. I mean, that's what we've been fighting for. We're yeah. fighting to, to be in the room. Yeah. To be in the room. I mean, there was a time they wouldn't even let us in the building. <laughs> you know? Um, we're in the building. You know, now we're, now we're fighting for to be in the room. And I'm not saying, you know, that I'm not trying to undermine I don't want to undermine history. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want to undermine, obviously, the impact of what has changed. But we we are it's twenty twenty, and we are still fighting for it, you know for against the, the injustice and the discrimination of people because of the color of their skin, and that is baffling in, on every level. And I it think is. a lot of people are still finding that baffling that the color of my skin is not a weapon and the color of my skin should not make me more suspicious than my white girlfriend. Yeah. So this kind of, this, you know, these, these, these rhetorics that have been kind of passed down, passed down, passed down, continue, they continue. And yeah. And I think we're just finally, I think, I was saying, I'm like, black people, we are tired. <laughs> tired. <laughs> We're tired. We're tired. Yeah. Enough is enough. You know, that, that's, and I think that is what is happening right now. And I think we, you know, we're tired. White allies are tired. You know, everyone is tired right now of, of, of this. And this needs, it needs to, it, it needs to be a change. It needs to be a change. Yeah. And I think like you're saying, there's a, there's a, particular cultural moment that's happening right now and I want to talk a little bit about how what's going on in the world now both in terms of the 
COVID-19 pandemic, yes. but also the, um, the events with George Floyd and the incidents in America and, and the protests and the march and how that impacts on your lived experience as a black woman, but also as a black and BAME re- researcher, because yeah. I know that a lot of these things can seem very distant if they're happening on the other side of the world. Mm. But that doesn't mean that they don't they don't change things for us. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, the day the day I heard about it, I cried mm. because for me, even though it was on the other side of the world, I'm like, this is I felt like my brother. Yeah. And I, I spent I was I was absolutely emotionally distraught and exhausted and and I just kept thinking to myself like why you know and and it and it has an effect on you because you say you know this is someone of this is someone that could have been my uncle that could have been my cousin and you know you really do feel like you genuinely do feel like it's a family member when these things happen Mm. and I know it's that's hard to understand but because you know that this is what's happening to your brothers and sisters across the pond it's just it does make your mental health and how you navigate your space just a bit more difficult really um you know you just you know you're just it's like there's a big target on your back when you're walking through the streets like that is Sometimes that is what I've been feeling actually the couple few days. I just feel like there's a massive target on my back. And not to say that people haven't been supportive or, you know, my white friends haven't been supportive and, you know, and active, but, you know, you can only know your own pain. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it, it, it just, yeah sorry no no I'm feeling it as well I'm I am it's interesting like you say about the way that it hits home as something very connected so my nephew is mixed raced yes so um and I grew up I do have um mixed race cousins actually but you know I they live in London I grew up in Devon so even though we're a close-knit family we we grew up quite separated in terms of those experiences yeah and when my nephew was sort of about four or five there were the sorts that was the start of racist incidents towards him at school Mm. and because he was the only non-white child in his entire school Mm. and I remember at the time um (laughs) I mean being so completely furious and devastated and you know that that this had started for him already but there was um there was a shift I think in my perception because all of a sudden it was very personal in a way that I had always you know although I would never have known this language at the time but I'd always considered myself an ally but my Mm. response to it was different and it has in you know over time made me think but that's how angry I need to be whenever it happens whoever it happens not just when it happens to my nephew Mm. but when it happens to anybody and I think we do we do respond differently when it's closer to our experience yes and therefore isn't the answer 
for us as privileged white people as a homogenous group um yeah to to learn more about the lived experiences yeah of Definitely. black and bane people yeah and it's just this thing isn't it of just human human value yeah you know it it is it is is this person you know whether you're black whether you're white it's human value and this is why you know you know this is why we're saying like this is why people say you know black lives matter because they have told us that they our lives don't they've told us that you know oh it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't matter that we have to you know put a black model on a you know on a beauty campaign like it's fine we will just cater for one group you know or you know they've told us for that so long they've told us it doesn't matter that you're not beautiful enough it doesn't matter that you know does does it matter like it does and that is i think that is what has become the shift that yeah our lives matter enough to live (laughs) you know we matter enough to be treated with respect we matter enough to not just be you know fawned over or you know just not be viewed as as the other but as a fellow human being um and i think that kind of again i've seen a lot on social media about you know the notion of black lives matter doesn't mean that white lives don't matter or asian lives don't matter it just means that like you say this is a group of people who have been consistently told throughout history yes that their lives don't matter yes and exactly and you know even though we you know we've i'm not i don't contest that we've made a lot of progress yes but we know that things aren't we know that we're not there yet and you see that you know the thing that springs to mind to me is about representation oh yes yes kelly (laughs) (laughs) because i know you know I know from my perspective as a woman that um, I, so I love science fiction and superheroes and all that sort of stuff. And it's only sort of in the past five years that we've started to see, you know, things like Star Wars with a strong female lead. Yes. Yes. um, You know, Captain Marvel for me. Yes. Oh my gosh. We've got a superhero that's not wearing a tiny skirt. Yeah. (laughs) And, and all of a sudden, you know, it, and I've had, you know male friends say to me but you know captain marvel is my one of my favorite films of all time and they go but it's not it's not the most amazing film ever why do you love it and i said well because it 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 feels like it represents and speaks to yes and my experience and i've heard a lot of people talking recently in my own kind of quest to educate myself Mm -hmm. somebody that, that operates in a position of privilege um about the you know we've we've come quite a long way with that again yes. we've got a long way to go but you know in terms of fame stories and narratives we're so woefully behind yeah yeah there has been i mean you want to take it right into every spectrum like i can go to you can go to our education system you can go to you know our television system like there has been this almost like erasure of black stories Mm. um and in the case that even black people 
don't even know we don't even know our own stories <laughs> yeah you know because because there is no platform there is no representation for us to be able to express these stories and say hey like there is this is another side of things you know there is this you know this is you know how black people have contributed to science how black people yeah. have contributed to medicine and technology and you know you know in in the arts and 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 these these stories are so are so diminished and you know it's we need to start shining a light on these stories shining a light on modern black stories you know our own stories as yeah. as, as as black people living now um and you know and representation you know seeing a representation is key and i think i think it's 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 great now i mean i knew when i was growing up there wasn't that many you know black dolls for little girls to play with yeah. you know um and it's great that again like we said we've made some progress that you know little little black girls are able to you know play with black dolls if they want to you know have they can you know just having the option i think has been has been the biggest thing i mean honestly i i could walk into boots and i will not have an option yeah and i just walk straight back out <laughs> you know it's just things like that which kind of represent a society in in fact whether they and the fact that they aren't aware of it, I think, is part of the problem. That doesn't say that they are not, you know, that doesn't say that, oh, you know, this group of people are racist. But the fact that they are just so unaware is part of the problem. The fact that they are so unaware that, oh, there is a part of the demographic of people that might not all be wanting nude. I remember there was a whole thing a couple of years ago, right, on nude and what that meant. And nude yep. basically just meant white skin. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and, and we were just like, um, yeah, Hello. they are. Hi. <laughs> remember, Hi. <laughs> remember me? I exist. Yeah, yeah, like, you know, we exist too, you know. Um, so I think, you know, I think that, you know, we're starting to see, I think I remember a couple months ago, wasn't it, with Tesco, bringing out kind of, you know, shades of nude plasters and yeah. all those things. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a long mountain to climb but i i don't want to be pessimistic about it i think there is hope i think that there is enough people who are starting to recognize what is going on and care enough to be like yeah we need to be able to you know highlight highlight these stories and let them be heard and, and let I them be known yeah i th i'm remembering as you're talking, I think we did, I think we had a conversation on Twitter actually about noughts and crosses. Yes. Oh yes. Oh, I love that show. I know. So, book. yeah. Yeah. So the thing that's, the thing that's really struck me as we're talking, I mean, so this was a TV show that was on the BBC a couple of months ago. Yeah. I think it was on BBC two though, which in and of itself is a, an interesting thing worth noting. Yeah. But I, I actually read that book when the the first one of the series when it came out and yeah. i've just googled it now and it came out in 2001 wow how is it taken and it was fa and it, it it was fabulous and yeah. i loved it the first time i read it um and you know as so as happens with so much in our lives you know mm. those kind of fictions and stories are educational definitely and yeah. how has that taken 20 years yeah to be made for television one yeah yeah. I mean, ir irrespective of the ways that it problematizes and challenges mm. our perceptions of race and yeah. 
um, and the way that our society is structured. Yeah. It's just an amazing story. Yes. But it yes. didn't get made. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Mall is... Mallory Blackman, who wrote it, she wrote an episode um, of Doctor Who a couple of years ago. And I think yeah. I've... I think, and I will double check this and correct myself in the show notes if I'm wrong, that she was the first black woman to ever write an episode of Doctor Who in a show that's been running for over 50 years. Wow. This is the thing. This is the thing. We're still hearing of black firsts. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 2020. You know, yeah. We're still hearing of first black person to do this. First, I mean, up until last night, first black mayor in Ferguson, first black female mayor in Ferguson last night <laughs> so you know it's it's you know it is it is um yeah it's you know it's amazing and how yeah society has just kind of set that up isn't it and you just really it becomes so blatant now I think um to to draw us to a close I wonder what <sighs> thinking of the right way to phrase this so you know thinking about coming back to higher education and the structural inequalities that we know exist mm -hmm. the you know the things that you've said about walking into a conference um paper or a seminar and being the only vain person in the room what what do we need to do as you know i'm talking about that homogenous we of white people again um yeah what do we need to do if we've got the power and we've got the privilege, what do we as white people in HE need to do yeah. to help change this from yeah. your perspective? So, and I know I'm asking you as a black person for the answer. I'm aware of the <laughs> irony of that in my question. Yeah. I always say education, education, education. And educating yourself doesn't just mean reading up on loads of books about black people. <laughs> yeah. It also means actually speaking to black people or, you know, and actually accepting them. And, and, I, and I mean, and I always just said, like, just be, be genuine about wanting to accept them into the room. You know, it's not a front. It's not a thing that, you know, we're just trying to tick a box or anything. It's just genuinely treating them with um you know with the same honor and dignity as anyone else um and i think again you know like you said a lot of people are kind of you know recognizing their privilege recognizing um you know the the steps the extra steps that have been you know put in place or the less obstacles they have and that's great um but i think the main thing that we also need to do is just have an ear to listen, I guess. I mean, you know, the people that are in power need to get BAME researchers into the room and listen. They need to get, you know, BAME researchers into the room and let them voice out their story, let them voice out their concern and just being genuine in listening, be genuine in wanting to help because they are in a position of power and privilege. And 
those are the things that, you know, I think we can start to at least see that, you know, the people that are making these policies, the people that are, you know, kind of in, in those positions um, are the ones to really start to make that change, to be honest. Yeah, and I think that's a really um, important and powerful note to end on. Actually, I love that phrase, just have an ear to listen. Yeah. And actually the simplicity of that as an act. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me about oh, something. Thank you. thank you. About just something about incredibly um, emotional. I've felt it as we've discussed <laughs> um, it from my own experiences with my family but just hearing your lived experience um and confronting my own biases and assumptions hmm. um with that is is really important um to me as an individual um but also to everybody else working um in this sector and being a human being on this earth hmm. so thank you so much no thank you for having me thank you kelly thanks Thank you, Victoria, for a difficult, emotional and truly illuminating conversation. I'm making a commitment now to make sure that I do have an ear to listen. Like many white people, I believe in equality and condemn racism wholeheartedly, but I am the product of white privilege and my perspective on the world is embedded with unconscious bias. I recognise that it's not the job of black people to educate white people about racism and about their lived experience. And so I recognise and thank Victoria for taking the time to talk to me today. I'm going to include some links um, in the show notes to different things that Victoria and I have discussed. But if there is anything you think is conspicuously absent from that or other stories or other research about BAME experiences in higher education that you think needs adding, please do let me know. And that's it for this episode. Don't forget to like, rate and subscribe, and join me next time where I'll be talking to somebody else about researchers, development, and everything in between.